Our Bible reading today comes from Luke chapter 2 verse 41 to 52. We're continuing in the Gospel of Luke for these next three or so weeks and uh, it starts at verse, uh, verse 41. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a full day. When they did not find him amongst their relatives or their friends, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Did you know, uh, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Let's pray again. Lord, as we come to your word today, we want to thank you that you will speak through it. We acknowledge our need of your spirit in this space. We are thankful, Lord, that our eyes have been opened by faith that we might understand Challenge us and encourage us, we pray, in this space today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, back in the day when I was 13, I had the opportunity to go on a holiday uh, to my cousin's house uh, home up near Mildura and for a week or so we put all of our energy into catching rabbits. Uh, in those days there was plenty of rabbits, it was before Khaleesi virus, and so we trapped rabbits, the meat that we uh, were able to get went into the freezer, the skins were dried out in the shed. But there were some byproducts from this project that I looked at and I thought, you know what, I can make some money out of this. Uh, because I had noticed in the past people occasionally carrying little rabbit foot, a uh, little rabbit's feet or a little rabbit's tail as a lucky charm. And I thought to myself, Here's an opportunity for um, some business, Lucky Charms. Now, don't misunderstand me. I have no truck whatsoever with Lucky Charms. But let me tell you, uh, they were really, really lucky for me because over that week I collected as many as I could. I dried them out. I cleaned them as best I could. And when I went back to school in, uh, in the city of Melbourne, there was a huge demand for my Lucky Charms. Everybody wanted one demand far, far outstripped supply. It was what they call a classic seller's market. I sold tails for 20 cents, feet for 50 cents. That uh, it didn't double my meagre pocket money income, it was astronomically more than my meagre pocket money income. It was, without doubt, the most successful and undoubtedly <laughs> the most unethical business venture I've ever embarked on. Now, having told that story, uh, it's worth just reflecting that we are all involved in business of some sort. Hopefully, a little more ethical than that business, 
But uh, no matter what you do, whether you work for someone else or you work for yourself, you, uh, you volunteer, you are a teacher, as Helen was, uh, whatever it might be, uh, you're involved in some sort of business. And when Mary found Jesus finally, having gone back to Jerusalem to look for him and question him about what have you been up to? He said, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Another translation of that is quite legitimately to say, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? Well, today we continue to look at uh, the early life of Jesus and this little snapshot that we have here from Luke chapter 2 verse 41 to 52 is the only snapshot that we have of Jesus as a boy. One of the things that I mentioned last week was the amazing piety of Jesus' family. They were a deeply religious and faithful, God-fearing family. And here in this passage, once again, we have evidence of that because we're told in verse 41, every year Jesus' parents went up to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Now, I always assumed that Jesus went with them every time And that might have been the case, but it wasn't actually required by the law. So we can't be sure from the silence of the scriptures whether he had been before, whether this was the first time, uh, we don't know. We do know that there were three major festivals in the Jewish calendar. The Passover, the Festival of Weeks or Pentecost and the Festival of Tabernacles. And any pious religious Jewish family would try to get to one of those festivals each year and the Passover was by far and away the most popular. Men were required to attend, Jewish men were required to attend, women and children were not under the law but it would appear that Mary typically did go and so in going submitted herself to the law as well. And at the stage of this story uh, we're told by Luke that Jesus was 12, that's actually quite significant because a Jewish boy would experience his bar mitzvah, that transition between being a child and a man at the age of 13. And so Jesus is one year short of his bar mitzvah and the age of accountability as a Jewish male. We're told that the family made preparations to go back to Jerusalem and that was approximately three days walk by foot. But something strange happened after the first day of travelling home because Joseph and Mary noticed that Jesus was not with them. Now the question is, how could that happen? And the answer actually is very, very easily. Uh, A number of years ago, uh, my wife and I used to travel to church separately because as is still the case, um, I get in a a lot earlier and I'm often the last to leave. I was travelling home from church with my son Josh in the car with me and Josh turned to me and said, where's Laura? And I said, Laura's with mum. And he said, no, she didn't go home with mum. So where's Laura, our youngest daughter? Uh, We suddenly discovered that we had both gone home without her. We'd left her behind. And so we did a U-turn and went back to the church to find my associate pastor, Greg, sitting there with a very wide grin on his face, much enjoying the moment, realising what had happened. And we had literally gone without realising that she was still there. Maybe something similar happened with Joseph and Mary. Each assumed that Jesus was was with the other and it would be easy to do that because in Jewish culture, as 
people travelled, as family groups travelled. The women and children typically went in the front and the men and the older boys would typically walk towards the back, talking along the way. And maybe at this age, Jesus moved between the two groups and so Mary and Joseph both assumed that that was the case. Whatever happened, we know that at the end of the day, after a full day on the road, the parents noticed that Jesus was not there. Now, I hope you've never had the experience of losing a child. Some of you might have momentarily. Uh, perhaps they've disappeared while you've been at the shops or while you've been camping or something like that. It's the kind of experience that chills you to the bone, isn't it? And we can't but help wonder what emotions Joseph and Mary must have been feeling in that space. They've travelled a full day. And now they've got this dilemma, where is our son? We've got to go back and find him. It's another full day to go back, at least another day to go back up to Jerusalem. And it's a climb, let me tell you, it is a climb back up to Jerusalem. And then they had to find Jesus once they got back to Jerusalem. Now you've got to picture this. Um, Jerusalem in those days was a, was a city, a walled city, high walls, narrow streets and at the time of the Passover, the city that would normally accommodate maybe 80,000 people in and surrounding the city in a relatively small area because people didn't live on quarter acre blocks, suddenly was filled with pilgrims from all over Israel, up to 250,000, more than quarter of a million people. This place was jam-packed full of people. Where would they look? How are they going to find this boy in this crowd of people? And I can imagine uh, both Joseph and Mary being beside themselves looking. The text is actually a little unclear. They may have got back to Jerusalem and found him within the day. It could also be understood from the text that they searched for him for three days, which would just heighten their anxiety even more. And for me, this passage opens up a number of unanswered questions, such as how could Jesus' parents have overlooked him for a whole day? We've kind of addressed that question. Where did Jesus sleep while he remained in the city? I've often wondered that. And most troubling, why didn't he have more compassion for his parents? Surely he must have known, even at this age, uh, the strife that that would cause. And Luke doesn't address any of those questions. And a parent less gracious than Mary, and perhaps a parent more like me, might have found Jesus and said to him, what on earth were you thinking? You're grounded for the next 25 years. You're never coming to the festival with us again. Now, we don't actually see that from the text. But what we do have is a very clear indication that his parents were very, very concerned and when they found him after this period, they, they said, Mary said, we have been anxiously searching for you. In fact, the word anxiously that we have in English is translated from a Greek word which could be better understood as saying, we've been beside ourselves with panic. We've been worried sick. We've been on the edge of going crazy, serious kind of stuff. And they found him sitting there in the temple courts, chatting politely with the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And the question that Mary asks really interesting. She said, why have you treated us this way? That's a natural question that a mother would ask, isn't it? 
notwithstanding the fact that Mary was the only mother who's ever lived to have a perfect child. There's a few children here who might think they're perfect children, but their mothers would tell us otherwise. Uh, She did what any normal Jewish mother would do. She tried to uh, lay a guilt trip on her son. And Luke, as I said, doesn't attempt to answer the questions, but there must be a reason that Luke included this in the scripture and we'll explore a couple of possibilities just for a moment. And the first possibility is this, and I think can be deduced from the words that Ron Jesus lips. He said to Mary, didn't you know I would be about the affairs of my father? Or in other words, didn't you know I would be going about the business of my father? Now, that kind of raises an interesting question. What could be more important to a mother than finding her lost son? In our humanity, we would say nothing, nothing at all. A parent will move heaven and earth to be reunited with a child. And even in our days, we hear stories of children who have gone missing or have been abducted in the worst case scenario and the, and the trauma and the grief, the lengths that a parent will go to in that space is incredible and without being callous or depreciating the seriousness of what Mary would have been feeling or perhaps others in this place would have been feeling I wonder whether one of the things that Luke wants to say or wants us to hear from this text is this the business of the father the business of the kingdom rises even above these things these things that we hold so close to our hearts And this is a notion that is at once confronting and perhaps confusing or potentially confusing or misunderstood. I remember years ago reading a story about a pioneer missionary. I used to read a lot of stories about pioneer missionaries. They were the sort of heroes who went out into the unknown. They packed their belongings into coffins because they knew they weren't coming back. And there was a story that troubled me, troubled me deeply, of a fellow who took his family, his young wife and small children, to a place somewhere in Asia, very, very early in terms of mission outreach. And there he found the need enormous. He left his wife and his children at the coast. He went inland where he undertook ministry. And it was a successful ministry. He saw many people come to the Lord. It was hard work, it was difficult, but he saw much fruit. But what was happening back on the coast was terrible. His wife and children were left basically destitute. It was back in the time when disease was rife. Uh, Children fell ill and died. Even his wife fell ill and died. And as I read that story there seemed to me to be something fundamentally wrong with his priorities. Fancy seeing God bless all of this but ignore the very people that God had called him to care for. And I don't think this passage that we're reflecting on gives us permission to act in that way or to treat our family poorly for the sake of ministry or to justify our neglect of someone Uh, uh, at the cost of our spiritual calling and people even in our day have kind of confused this you know the work of ministry the call of God is so important they forgot about the people that they live with the family that God has called them to minister to and for sure Jesus did say uh, those who do God's will are his brother and sisters and mothers 
seeming to push the boundaries of family outwards, which was really significant in his culture. But in his moment of greatest anguish on the cross, we see him making sure that his mother was properly cared for. And the principle that we should take from this passage is not that we should ignore those who we live with, the family that God has given to us, but that the priority of the kingdom rises in the midst of all of these other things that demand our attention and our priority. And I know how much of a challenge this is because there are just so many things that clamour for our attention. Even on a Sunday morning that was once uh, a time sacrosanct for the church, you know, nothing else happened in our community at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Do you know church often started at 11 o'clock so that the dairy farmers had time to get to church and that was the sacred hour. There was nothing else happening. No shops were open, no sport was being played, nobody would be doing anything but there's so many things that crowd us and it's not just in terms of our time when we gather to worship, it's other things that take our attention and demand our priority as well. Just as uh, a reflection too, I was going to make this statement last week but it fits more neatly with where we're at here today. I ran across some research not that many years ago which I found rather interesting and it speaks to how we prioritise our life of expression in the church or in our Christian faith more particularly and the impact that that has on our children. Here's what the research says, we now know that non-religious children of religious parents cast off their beliefs for reasons that have little to do with intellectual reasoning. The latest cognitive research shows that the decisive factor is learning from parents, from what parents do rather than from what they say. So, the research says, if a parent says they're a Christian but they've fallen out of the habit of doing things they say should matter, such as praying or going to church, their kids simply don't buy the idea that religious make, uh, religion makes sense. That is quite confronting, isn't it? One of the key reasons the research is suggesting that young people fall away from faith is not because they've been reasoned out of it, but because they have not seen it actually lived practically by their parents. The second thing worth picking up in this passage uh, was called to mind uh, when I was thinking about the first job that I ever had. There was other business that I was involved in apart from ripping people off with rabbit's feet. Um, I had a job for a little while working at um, Companion Camping Goods. We were asked, uh, a few of us were asked to help unpack some containers that came from Czechoslovakia, camping goods. It was the middle of summer, very hot summer. And the containers had to be unloaded and so we were working the containers, picking up the boxes and taking them out putting them on a pallet on the forklift, back into the box, uh, sorry, back into the container, out to the forklift and as the day went on or as the hour went on, you were going further and further into this 40-foot steel container, it got hotter and hotter and dustier and dustier and I've got to tell you, even as a 13 or 14-year-old, I looked at the guy who was sitting on the forklift and I thought to myself, I want his job. But in the natural order of things, I couldn't have his job. I was too far down on the pecking order, so to speak. I would have to work my way into that job. And clearly, uh, at that age, I couldn't be a forklift driver anyway. Let me just say too, um, some years later, 
uh, one job I had involved a lot of forklift driving. Overrated, let me just make that clear. The point is this, in some senses we see this at work with Jesus too. We see an amazing interplay in this passage between the humanity and the divinity of Christ. We assume, perhaps falsely, that even as a child Jesus would have his theology and his worldview sorted out. He'd, he'd know everything, you know, because he's God, right? And he, uh, he, being fully God, would understand all these things, but he was also fully human, and we don't kind of know how those two things fit together. It's beyond our understanding. But here he is, sitting with these teachers and learning from them and engaging with them. We know in Jewish culture it was very acceptable for a young person to sit amongst the teachers, the theologians, and ask questions. And Jesus was obviously uh, quite sharp in this place because he was asking questions and they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. But we shouldn't assume for a moment that it was Jesus doing all of the talking or all of the teaching or in fact doing any of the teaching because the scripture makes it clear that he was listening to them. And it's interesting to think about what does that actually mean? There's a theory that theologians talk about called canonic theology. I'm not going to talk about that, it's way outside our pay grade today. But it's this question, to what degree did Jesus empty himself of his divinity before he became a man? How, how did Jesus actually come to know that he was the Saviour, the Messiah? When did that realisation become real for him? We don't fully understand that. What we do see though, and we can say with some confidence, is that in this passage we see the young Jesus pursuing intimacy with God, pursuing discipleship and these were things that didn't come naturally to him, he worked at it, he cultivated them intentionally and there surely is a lesson for us too. Jesus went about the business of learning and growing in intimacy with his Father in much the same way that we ought to do. And at the end of this passage, as Mary has observed these things, she pondered them in her heart. An echo uh, of verse 19 from the same chapter, which says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She watched them, she reflected on them and thought about them. And so with Mary, the opportunity there today for us to ponder these things in our hearts. What does it actually mean for us to prioritise the things of the Kingdom of God? Please don't for a moment say, I need to forget about my family, I need to forget about the work that I'm doing because all of those things are part of our call from God too. Last week I spoke about the importance of the ordinary, the day-to-day -day life and the manner in which Having lived in that space, Jesus gave that a tick of approval as a place where God might be found and ministry might take place. That's an important place that we might be called. But where are the challenges that we face this week in terms of making the things of God a priority? The temptations that we face to put our energy and effort into other things that will reap no benefit to the kingdom, perhaps only benefit to us. How do we face those challenges that we face in relationship in a godly manner? The temptation sometimes to respond in anger or to respond vindictively or vexatiously. Uh, how do we do it with God that make God a priority in those really difficult places? We all face them 
And we all need God to help us in that space. And how do we walk this year, 2021, into a new year uh, where we might explore more deeply the riches of God's plan for our lives? There's opportunities this year, perhaps, if you've not already been involved in a small group, to get involved. Perhaps God has been speaking to you about an opportunity. I had one of uh, the members of our congregation come to me just recently and say, God, uh, David, I feel like there's something I could do to bring value to uh, the church in this area. And, and as I listened, I just felt the Spirit saying, this is so right. There's opportunities that you might be being prompted about. Speak to us about that. Perhaps this year is a year where you will be intentional in digging into the scriptures, doing some study, learning something, getting a mentor or being a mentor, starting a new habit, uh, taking a step of obedience in some way. And again, for each of us, the opportunities that we have and the responses might be different, but the example that we have is found here in Jesus, who even as a young man, as a 12-year-old, was focused and intentional in getting to know the Father and was focused and intentional in making the kingdom of God his priority. We're going to pray and then we'll invite Bob and the team to come back and lead us again in a couple of songs of worship before we conclude. God, we do want to thank you again for your word and for the deep challenge that there always is in your word. May your spirit continue to speak to us as today we have just skated over a couple of the key things that we might find from this passage, but there's deeper things yet to be revealed. Ground us, we pray, in your revelation. Grow us in our knowledge of your scripture and in our love and relationship with you. Lord, as we continue to seek you, help us to know how to prioritise your call in the midst of a world that just brings so many demands, so many attractions, so many bright lights that we can be drawn to. Lord, it is you that we seek. It's your spirit that we, we wish to walk our days with. It's God, you who uh, we want to honour and glorify. And so even now as we worship, we do that and we make this a priority. We thank you for your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.